Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing? It's good to have you guys with us. And for all those that are joining us on Church Online today, welcome. We're in a series called The Jesus Diaries. And if you've just joined us, we're actually journaling, going all the way through the Gospels, chronologically leading up to Easter. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Matthew 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 43. Matthew 5, 43. Um, growing up, and as I got older, my dad, I always grew up around the game of golf. I grew up around many sports. My dad was a multi-sport player. And as I got older, it was golf. And the thing that dad had to teach me later in life, I'll never forget when I was in college, I would go to play golf with dad, and it was very frustrating for him and me. The reason is, is because I had so many bad habits. Like, I just figured in golf, if you just like happy gilmore it, right? If you just swung it like a baseball as hard as you could, you could hit it. And so, like, constantly, like, you know, now today I'm teaching my son golf. I'm not too bad at it. Just don't have three hours to dedicate to play 18 holes. But I have had to unlearn so many bad habits. Keep your back leg straight in. Don't quit, you know, quit bending your leg in. Quit doing this. Keep your, keep your arms straight. Keep your head down. Like all of those things with golf. And I have to continue to remind myself, okay, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Unlearning bad habits. Matter of fact, I have this golf club, which you actually take it, and it's broken in several areas, and it's on hinges. And if you have the perfect swing, and you go back with it and come through, it's, a, it's straight, just like a real golf club. If you don't do it right, it's like, and it's terrible. And so when it comes to golf, I had to learn so many, uh, unlearn so many bad habits. And I want to talk to you today about unlearning some things. Because when Jesus came on the scene in the first century, that's what he did in one of his first sermons. As we continue our series here, I want you to think about Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. This is what you call the B attitudes. This is Jesus' first, like, home run big sermon. And Matthew records this sermon because Matthew was there with him. The crowds gathered around, and in this Sermon on the Mount, they call it, here's what Jesus did. In effect, he said, I know you have heard it said, but now I've come to tell you. Here's what Jesus was doing to his Jewish religious culture. He said, I know that we have learned in our Jewish religious system to do it this way, but now I'm coming to unlearn you some things. I know that in our current political system with Rome ruling and us being under Rome and hating Rome, I know you've heard it said this way, but now I've come to tell you there's a different way. And what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, they had seen political regimes, they had seen religion, but they had never seen the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus came to institute and so in Matthew 5, 43, we're going to look at an excerpt from the Sermon on the Mount, and you'll see what he says. He says, you have heard that the law says, this is the Torah, this is like the Old Testament that they grew up with, their Jewish religious book. He said, I know you've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, that's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is. You should go through and underline and circle how many times you see that, that one thing. I know you've learned it this way, but I'm coming to unlearn you. He says, I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This was so strange to them. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. They had never heard this before. 
instilled from them at an early age from mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and the, even the, the synagogue. They were learning, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. And then Jesus goes on to say, for he, being God, gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're only kind to your friends, how different are you than anyone else? For even pagans do that. That was a low blow to them because they thought they were so much higher than the pagans. We're, we're, we're the Jews, and they're the pagans, and we know so much better. And Jesus is like, hey, man, you're Jews by name, but you act just like pagans. He says, but you are to be perfect. That word perfect means to be complete, whole. The word teleos, an end, a goal, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus came to teach them what the kingdom culture was like to show them a different way. And if you have your notes handy, write this down today because here's today's big idea, and it's this. Kingdom culture will always be a counterculture. Kingdom culture will always be a counterculture. What Jesus was teaching wasn't popular. It wasn't part of the mainstream way of thinking. Matter of fact, the more he taught on stuff like this, the more the Jewish religious leaders got angry with him to the point three years later they plotted to come up with this idea that he should be crucified. See, understand in our life today that kingdom culture is a counterculture. And what we've learned and how we've learned in our life to treat people who do us wrong, what we, how we've learned to treat the other political party, right? How we've learned to treat people who uh, may not look like us or believe like us has been ingrained into us. And what Jesus would say to you and me today is say this, either you're going to have a culture of the world or you're going to have a kingdom culture. And so realize when you come to follow Jesus, here's what Jesus wants to do. Here's what the scriptures are. The scriptures are what the kingdom looks like. And you're going to either choose a worldly culture that follows celebrities and follows political parties and all that stuff, or you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to follow the kingdom culture because that's what Jesus had come to establish. And let me say this, the longer you follow Christ, the more you uncover the scriptures, the more you pray and seek God, the more you're gonna see everything that's not a kingdom culture in you. It's not the popular way in our world today. A matter of fact, here's what Jesus did with, with establishing the kingdom culture. And you may say, he has some pretty high standards in the Sermon on the Mount, he did. And, and, and here's what Jesus does. Jesus knows that life is real, but watch this. But he still set the ideal. Let me explain that. Jesus knows that your life is real, and it's tough, and this is hard. This seems unattainable. But he still set the ideal. He set standards in the Beatitudes that you look at and say, how can we ever attain this? This seems unattainable. And in one way, he said this to know that you need grace, but in another way, he set a new standard to show the religious people who were just doing it outwardly. Outwardly, they looked great. They were going through the motions. The Jewish religious leaders had it down to a science. 
Oh, I've never committed adultery. And look what Jesus says. I love this in Matthew 5, 28, Sermon on the Mount. He says, but I say, you've heard it said, but I say, if anyone even looks at a woman with lust, they has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You're like, whoa, Jesus, that is high standards. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to live at this level. You can't do it just living by religious form. But Jesus set an ideal for us. And when you look at Scripture, let me tell you something. It's, there's not a lot of low-hanging fruit. You need the Holy Spirit to help you obtain this. I mean, think about every area of our life. We're called with our finances not to be, you know, a slave to debt. But we live in a culture that wants you to chase your dreams, right, with the chase card. They want you to get it on credit. I explained to my son layaway the other day. He could not comprehend layaway. When we had to show up every week at Kmart and go to the back on my first Nintendo, and, and I had to work at seven years old to earn money and put money, and I had to look at that Nintendo sitting there. Mom and Daddy didn't have a credit card. We were, we were so broke we couldn't pay attention. Right? Like, like, like we're told to... to not live in debt and keep up with the Joneses. We're told to be generous to the kingdom. You're like, but Jesus, life is real. He says, I know, but I've set an ideal. We're told in our marriages, and this is so difficult, a kingdom marriage is, is it's impossible to do it on your own. Jesus says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He got up on a cross. And he sacrificed his life. So what we have to do, husbands, is stop being a man-child, right? And whining and complaining about everything. Stop letting anger and offense and bitterness dictate our life toward our wives. We should love and serve our wife as Christ loved the truth. Like, man, that is tough. Yeah, it is. And if you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail every time. Jesus set this ideal. And then he says, wives, watch this, respect your husband's. Like, show him some respect. But you just don't know. He's, he leaves his clothes everywhere, and he does this and that. I'm going to give you a, a piece of advice for parenting and for marriage right now. You will, never, you will never nitpick and criticize someone to greatness. Man, it got quiet in here. Church online, you got to stop chewing on your food. I could hear it. You will never see your husband Fulfill his potential if you keep being a second-grade teacher, showing him everything he does wrong all the time, and then wonder why he just gives up. Husbands, you will never get the respect of your wife if you're refusing to climb up on a cross and sacrifice. I'm going to tell you a secret. we got some really, really sweet pastors here that when they counsel and they work with you, they're sweet. If you ever sit down with me for counseling, I'm going to carry you to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to say, climb up on the cross, boy. Quit crying. Show them some respect. Stop nitpicking it. Love, forgive, get rid of bitterness. See, if you understand the kingdom culture came not to be a burden to us, but to help us to experience joy in every area of our life. So Jesus sets this ideal when it comes to parenting. You know, our fathers, don't provoke your sons to anger. Children, honor and respect your parents. And all the parents said, amen. And there's this cultural idea that Jesus sets with the kingdom. 
that he says, I know that you've heard it said your whole life, this is how things operate. But I've come to establish a different culture. And here's what happens we miss out on this. If we begin to take our cultural cues from the world, then they will miss out on seeing the beauty of the kingdom. The world who desperately needs Jesus, they won't see the kingdom. If we keep as a culture, as followers of Jesus, I just wish we would take our cues from the scriptures and from the kingdom and not from media. I don't care what media you follow. All of it is of the world. The only media that's not of the world is the scriptures. It's the Bible. And that should be telling you how to respond to your enemies. And that should be telling you how to respond to your wife and how to respond to other people. And my fear is, is that we keep getting all of our cues from other sources of life. Well, the celebrity said this about God. Whoopi Goldberg believes that all, all is one. Well, Whoopi Goldberg's not in Scripture <laughs> on the view, right? Well, you know, you know Lady Gaga the other day said this about, about Jesus. Lady God, if God cared what Lady Gaga thought, he, he would have had her write the Bible, but he didn't. <laughs> But you would be astounded how many people who claim to be followers of Jesus can quote a person but have no clue what Jesus even said. And they're misquoting Jesus all the time. And see, guys, if we miss this, if we don't instill a kingdom culture into every area of our life, the world's going to miss out. Matter of fact, I experienced this growing up after I got saved. I worked for my dad's concrete company, and he gave me the toughest, worst job there. That's what you do when you work for your dad. <laughs> and I drove a front-end loader. And he would send me to all the biggest concrete pours, to each concrete plant to do that. And one day, I, I, I went out to a concrete plant. And there's a guy, we'll call, we'll, call him, uh, we'll call him Bill, just for anonymity's sake. He's, and Bill was a deacon at his church, but Bill who worked for that concrete company, cussed everybody out all the time. GD'd it all the time. If you know what GD'd is, and you need to talk, talk to your spouse all the time. And then he'd come in and say, yeah, I'm a deacon in my church. That's cool. You're reading the Bible there, Kevin. I'm really proud of you. I'm thinking, bro, it's just like, I mean, like, like and I couldn't say anything because he was a higher up, you know. But I'll never forget one day in my room reading the Bible. I was new to Jesus. I wanted my dad to come to know Christ. I really wanted him to know Jesus. My dad had, had been turned off from Christianity. I'll never forget sitting in there. And he said, yeah, that old Bruce guy acts like he's a Christian. Man, he's, he's got worse language than I have. He said, you know, that, that, that whole, all that stuff there, I, said, I just don't get into religion because of things like that. I'm not here to, to knock that guy, but I can say this about him. He didn't have a kingdom culture when it came to the way he used his language and treated others. And my dad was the world looking. He said, I see religion, but I haven't seen the beauty of the kingdom. Never seen that. And my whole life was, can I show my dad the beauty of the kingdom? And, what, and I failed many times, but I tried. And friends, here's what I'm scared of. We're going to leave here today doing our own things swept around by media and politics and everything else and angry about this. And, and, and the whole time the world's looking at us saying, I see religion and I don't want that. 
and we're going to miss out, and they're going to miss out. So what do we do? Here's the action point. Write this down if you have your notes handy. Aim for the ideal. Aim for it so the world can see that Christ is real. That's what we're going to do. Like if Jesus says, if you look upon a woman lustfully, then you've done it in your heart, then, then you know what? Do what the Scriptures say, that you've made a covenant with your eyes, men, that you should not look upon a woman lustfully. It says that, that in the Scriptures, you're going to set that idea. Will you fail? You probably will. But when you set that ideal, you get up every day. His mercies are new, and you're going to keep pushing forward. And when people get around you, they're going to know something's different about you because you're willing to stay away from things that they just run into. And they're wondering, how in the world has your marriage weathered all this? And you can say, let me tell you how Christ is real. Matter of fact, Jesus says this in Matthew Chapter 5, the Beatitudes, he says this in Matthew 5, 14. He says, you, talking about the Jews back then, because they had forgotten this. They were like God's chosen people for all the world to look at. He says, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And then he says this, and to them they're like, duh. But he says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, watch this, because you're going to aim for the ideal so the world can see that Christ is real. He says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And you start living the kingdom culture and you start aiming for the ideals in your marriage and in your parenting and in your life and your finances, people are going to look at you and say, I want what you have. Tell me about Jesus in your life because you're going to respond differently to them. See, here's something you've got to realize about the world that we live in today. And we forget this, but our culture is desperately thirsty for the kingdom. I don't, th I don't think we realize that. Our culture is, they are thirsty for the kingdom of God. See, I want you to realize what happened in, in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, you have to realize what was, we were created in the image of God. When they sinned in the garden, there was something that was lost there in Eden. And do you understand that all of us have Eden in our hearts? Like we're all longing for Eden again. That's what heaven will be. We'll be returned to this unbroken fellowship with our Father. And the world is just hungering and thirsting for that. Everything today that you're seeing that makes you angry. Oh, I just, I, eh. people are hungry. The word unity is just thrown around. You'll never get unity on earth. That's a bunch of garbage that politics give you. Really? Yeah. But you know where you'll see unity? In the kingdom. Everything that politics are promising you, everything that the world's promising you is found in the kingdom. Everything. You cannot have joy apart from Jesus. You can have happiness. And the world is thirsty for community. They're thirsty for acceptance. They're thirsty for acceptance of the Father. Most people who suffer with 
issues in their life, well, you can always trace it back to a father issue. Why? Because that father wound is so powerful. And all of us in our hearts are longing for the acceptance of not just a father, but the father. And the world's thirsty for it. They actually want it. They want what you have. We think they don't want it. But they don't want religion. They want the kingdom. So here's what we have to do when we leave here, guys. Here's my task and yours. Respond in such a way that reflects the kingdom. That's what Jesus said to him. He said, he said I know you've heard it said, he said, hate your enemies. And right now in the climate that we're in, it's, it's usually hate that political party and your neighbor who has that sign. Just hate them. Despise them. Get all your anger up and just hate everybody around you. Jesus says, no, no, no. You've got it all wrong. Love. Love those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Proverbs says, those who do you wrong, do good to them. It's going to heap coals on them. Proverbs says, it says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And if you kind of gloat when your enemy falls, it says, then don't worry, it's going to come back on you. Pray for those who pray. Respond in such a way. And here's what you and I have to do. When those things hit us, we have to pause and say, okay, am I responding in a way that is kingdom or that is world? Because the world wants to see the reflection of Jesus in our life. And they will only see it when we live out the kingdom. When you forgive someone, because the world doesn't go around forgiving people or saying, hey, forgive me, I wronged you. It's so funny when I play basketball, and if I get into a little minor, usually it's just minor stuff now. I don't, I don't try to throw blows anymore. But I'll go to someone and say, hey, man, would you forgive me for that? And, they're like, they're, and, and they get weird. What do you mean forgive? Uh, uh, uh. I mean, these are guys who did, they don't know Jesus, and they're like, forgive? Uh, what are you talking about? I said, forgive me. Man, I, I, was, I was wrong. And they are just like, what just happened? We live, leave here, respond in such a way that reflects the kingdom. Respond in a way that reflects the transformation of the gospel so others can see Christ. I've shared this illustration before, but it's the best one that I think I can come up with. Because every time I look at the moon, I think about the reflection of Jesus. And here's what I mean when my son the other day said, Daddy, how's the moon so bright? I said, it doesn't have its own light, son. It's like a giant rock in space. I said, it gets its light from the sun. And it's actually reflecting the sun's light. It just actually looks like it has light. That's what we do. You're reflecting the glory of the Father so the world can see it. And they're going to say, man, I want that. Help me because I want what you have. So where is it in your life that you learned something on granddad's knee that was wrong? 
media has taught you something that's wrong. The way you do things with your opinions, where is it in your life? I know I have my issues, but the Lord wants you to be transformed by his spirit. So when we leave here, people will see Jesus. Now I'm gonna tell you something, when you start going after it, you're gonna need God's spirit and God's power to do it. And that only happens through prayer. So if you will pray with me this morning, God, Thank you for the Beatitudes, for the Sermon on the Mount that is recorded for us thousands of years ago that we get to read this sermon from Jesus. But Lord, we, we look at this, and right now we just pause and say, Lord, you set such a high ideal. It seems unattainable. So today, Lord, we ask for your grace that empowers us. We ask for your Holy Spirit to help us. We pray right now you would help us do that. And Lord, I pray that you would deconstruct and help us unlearn the things that we've learned that are hurting us and reflecting your kingdom to the world. And may when we leave here this week, give us opportunities to respond to our enemies. Give us opportunities to reflect your kingdom with good deeds. Give us opportunities for that. And in that moment, make us aware of that, God, and show us so the world will see that you're real. We need your help with this, Father. We love you and we praise you. As we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, you will never be able to be good enough and work enough to be accepted and get into heaven. It's only when you realize you're in desperate need of grace and mercy that you have a debt so large you could never repay. It's called sin. For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God through Christ is eternal life. So whether you're online or in here physically today, I don't, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. You're trying to be a good person and work your way to it. But today is a day that if you, whether you walked away from your faith in a bad version of Christianity or whether today for the first time ever you want to surrender your life to Jesus right where you're at, you can make this confession of faith and pray this prayer after me. And it's simple. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I cannot save myself so today I ask Christ to save me I believe that Jesus died on the cross I believe he rose again on the third day and I believe he's the only way to heaven God I repent it means I turn away from my old life I receive full forgiveness of sins today. And I receive your new life through the Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.